The first reading is from Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayers and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humbly humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from, he I, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, What has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore he has brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The second reading is from the book of Acts, the second chapter. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted them themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is the gospel of our Lord. All right, I'm going to start today's message with an experiment. I'm going to put you on the spot right away. Here we go. The picture on the left has one line. The picture on the right has three lines. The line on the left, is it the same length as line A, line B, or line C? Don't answer out loud, just think about it. Which line, A, B, or C, matches the one that's on the left? It's not a trick question. It's pretty clear, right? It's obviously, what is, oh, say it with confidence. All right, there we go. So in the 1950s, there's a man named Solomon Ash. He did an experiment. He asked the same question, and at the experiment, at the end of the experiment, three people out of four, 75% of the people chose answer A. Hmm. So are either our eyes are malfunctioning or the people in the 1950s weren't just that smart. <laughs> and to just put you at ease very quickly, the correct answer is C. So how in the world did three out of four people miss such an obvious answer? Well, let me walk you through how the experiment was conducted and, and a really important truth was discovered. The subject, the person that was part of this experiment, the subject, would enter a room with a group of strangers. Unbeknownst to them, the subject, the other people, the other participants, the other strangers, they were actors who were planted by the researchers to deliver scripted answers to certain questions. Everyone was shown throughout this experiment, whether there was eight or nine or twelve pieces, whatever it was, something like this. A picture on the left, which corresponds to something on the right. Pick your choices, right? Which one of the lines matches the other, the, the, the line that's targeted, right? So the experiment would always begin the same. First, there would be some easy trials. Everyone would agree on a correct line. They were fairly easy to follow but after a few rounds, like maybe fourth, fifth, sixth round, 
The correct answer was not quite as obvious as the previous ones. And the actors in the room began to intentionally select incorrect answers. In the course of this experiment, they would choose line A, even though it was clearly the wrong answer. The subject was unaware of this ruse. They would immediately become kind of bewildered. They're like, I'm, my eyes are seeing this, and you guys are saying that. And their eyes would kind of open wide. They'd be double-checking. They would kind of maybe laugh nervously about themselves because they, when you're uncomfortable, sometimes laugh is a nice way of dealing with that. They would double-check the reactions of the people around them, right, to, to see what, what they were doing and maybe, right? And then their agitation would kind of grow as one person after another in that room would deliver the incorrect response. Soon they would doubt their own eyes, and eventually many of them even delivered an answer that they personally knew to be incorrect. What Ash discovered was that as the number of actors giving wrong answers increased, so did the conformity of the subjects being tested. If if it was just one subject like one, and one actor, then there was no effect on the person's choice. They assumed that they were in the room with a moron. But when two actors were present, that still didn't have much choice. They were just in the room with two morons. But as the group size of actors went from two to three to four to eight, the subject became more likely to second-guess themselves and or conform to the group. So that by the end of the experiment, three out of four people are saying the wrong answer, though they know it to be wrong. What this experiment proved is that when you are unsure of what to do or to act, we will look at a group and either consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, let a group decide our behavior. And that's what we do all the time. Without even knowing it, that's why we read Amazon reviews or Yelp ratings or TripAdvisor ratings because we want to have the best buying, eating, or travel habits. And it's usually a smart strategy as there's helpful evidence in the contribution of a crowd. But there can also be a downside. If there are voices asserting wrong answers, if and when the majority of people are adopting the wrong answers. Science shows that you and I will be influenced to join the wrong. In fact, three out of four did with even a simple task like lines. The experiment showed that on most days, most people would rather be wrong with the crowd than to be right by themselves. Our 40-day being challenge is going to help us remember that we are not to be most people. We are people who focus our lives on Jesus and we take dead aim at Jesus in the example He gave to us. All these little pictures you see, they'll have a target and an arrow going into it and they're going into the heart, that red part, because our aim is to be Jesus. Follow Him. I mean, after all, how, how good our God has been to us. 
how good our God is to us and how good of our God will be to us when we get to go home to Him again. We then want to be the greatest followers of Jesus we can be. He is worthy of our best. And being a great follower of Jesus always starts with being in relationship with Jesus. That's what the last challenge told us. Being was the first one we considered. And in this challenge, we're saying, and being in relationship with Jesus starts with the habits of being a committed Christian and the habit of being a part of a Christian community. The keystone habits we talked about last week, were we, we, this is what the definition one, keystone habits are habits that we form that unintentionally carry over into other areas of our lives. The example was, if you just add exercise, how does that change everything else? If you just add going to bed at the right time, how does that affect the rest of your life? If you just start your day reading the scripture, how will that affect the rest of your life? If you start one habit, and it's a keystone habit, it does have a tendency to affect the rest of your life. Keystone habits. And last week we also remembered this, that small habits done consistently over time will produce major results. Today we're talking about the first habit, the first keystone habit, and that first habit is being committed to community. Now we'll start with this a commitment to community because it is one of the first things that Jesus does in each of the four gospel books. You can't get past the first chapters in any of these gospel looks very long without seeing that one of the first things Jesus does is to call his disciples to follow him. He calls them to join His community. And I think if anyone could have gone alone, and if anyone could have had great results in this world being alone, it would have been Jesus. Sometimes I even think the community that was around Him held Him back. But Jesus calls them. And He commits to establishing a community. Why? Because of a simple truth. We are not meant to be alone. The very first recorded revelation that God ever spoke to mankind were those ten words found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. From the beginning, you and I are made to be in community. But before you and I head out and intentionally then now look to find a community and seek a community and have a relationship with the community, we need to realize that the type of community, the type of people that we surround ourselves with, are actually of utmost importance. King Solomon shared his proverb with us. Proverbs 13.20 says this, If you walk with the wise, you become wise. Makes sense. But a companion of fools suffers harm. A study by a Harvard professor, his name was David McClelland, he tracked people in their community for 30 years. And he discovered that 95% of our success or failure in life is determined by the people we habitually associate with. You rise with them or you fall with them, but who is around you? 95% chance of that. And so as we're exploring the God-inspired habits of Jesus, this is why we start with community. One, because it's the very first habit that Jesus established for His church. And two, 
There may be no more important predictor of the future you than to look at the community of the current you. Think about that for a moment. Now when we look at the life of Jesus, this is what we find. Jesus was in perfect community with the Father and the Spirit and the realms of that heavenly space. His mortal body was filled with the Holy Spirit of God and He was one in all things with the Father. He said so repeatedly. He and the Father are one. No one and no thing ever separated the Holy Trinity. How the Father loved, the Spirit and the Son loved. The Father's will, the Father's way was the Spirit's way and the Son's way. What the Father wanted to redeem and to save, that became the reason and purpose and the passion of the Spirit and the Son as Jesus went about to seek and save all of God's people. Jesus, this Spirit and the Father were and forever will be one. A blessed community. It begins and ends and surrounded with a blessed relationship with God. Second, Jesus established an inner circle of three disciples over time. Those That inner circle was Peter, James, and John. Those three were invited to witness and be blessed by witnessing Jesus healing Jairus' daughter, the transfiguration of Jesus into His glorified state on the mountain, and to accompany Jesus in prayer the night that He was being betrayed. This inner circle of three were most blessed by God. They were gifted with relationship and insight more than the others, and they would later share those gifts with the world around them. Third, Jesus had then invited and also cared for a group of 12, a 12 disciples. The 12 had opportunities, special to them to the world, to witness Jesus' wisdom, power, and love privately and personally. They were gifted then in that circle of 12 with a relationship and an insight so that later they could share their gifts with the world around them. And then there's another level to Jesus' community. Jesus was actually committed to people of God in all the growing size of circles. There was a 72 that He blessed and sent out and received them when they were successful for Him. But then there was the 500 that He witnessed to and witnessed His resurrection. But then more than that, we could see in here that Jesus' community had no limits. It went to every Jew and every Gentile as He was traveling that world as much as He could by foot to make sure the world was exposed to God in Christ Jesus. He loved them from the beginning to the end. So here's what those examples show us about community. First, the only perfect in love, perfect in power, and perfect in wisdom community is community with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will not find perfection in anywhere, any other location. Start and end and live every moment at one to the best of our abilities with that trinity, that community. It is always right. It always loves us in spite of us. It's better to stand alone with God in that community than to stand with any number of people in any other community. Second, what this teaches us is that the community of people 
that Jesus was with, it wasn't always neat. It was messy. It was people like us. Members of the community that aren't perfect. The three, they weren't near perfect. The twelve, not a chance. The 72, the 500, the nation, the Samaritan, the Gentiles, none of it was perfect. It's a mess. It's tough to be in that community. But the three, the 12, the 72, the 500 did have something in common. They adopted and made their own the same mission. They chose to follow Jesus who was one with the Father and the Spirit. Their earth community was like a cross. It was on the earth, but it was blessed by heaven, the vertical aspect, and then it was reaching out to the world with that blessing to the world around them. So here's a question for us today. Is your community, are the people that you are allowing into your lives, whether they're face-to-face, in a group, or through the television screens and the computer screens that we fill our eyeballs and our ears with all week long. Is that community, is it following Jesus or not? is, Is our community consumed with the same mission as Jesus? To be on earth, blessed by heaven, reaching out to the world? Or not? We ask that question to debate today because you've always heard, already heard and been refreshed is that our community matters. It has a huge effect upon us. If your community is pursuing Jesus, if the three people who are closest to you in your life are pursuing Jesus, if the 12 people around them in your life and around you in your life are pursuing Jesus, if your 72 and your 500 in your community are pursuing Jesus and dedicated to Jesus and His example of loving and, and serving in life, then there's a significant chance that probably you will too. And if your closest community that most significant person in your life, your closest friends, the ones just outside of that group, if they're not pursuing Jesus, His love and His goodness, His will and His way, then there's a good chance that your pursuit will be compromised. The being challenge for you this week, it really boils down to intentionally looking at the community that is around you. And asking a simple question, it's on this word. Is my community and are the people I've chosen to be my community, the people in whatever way touch my eyes, ears, and heart, that means television and and video screens and audio screens and podcasts, all of this input is now our community, right? Is that community purposefully following Jesus or not? Who in your community is bringing you closer to Jesus? And who in your community is distracting you and tempting you to move further away from Jesus? This week, you're called to prayerfully consider that. This week, you get to decide what you participate in. You're aware of the consequences and the blessings. 
Here's our closing prayer. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, help us to be a church community that wants to follow Jesus and have His habits. Help us to come together to develop the habits that Jesus had. And Father, help us be a Christ-like influence on the people in our lives and community. Amen. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered in the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, we ask that you continue to call us to serve your holy purposes. We ask that you continue to look upon us with mercy and patience as we do our best to bring you into our homes and lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As you enter into our messy and confused worlds, we ask that you bring direction, hope, and peace so that we might have the ability, strength, and courage to follow the example of your Son. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord Jesus, your will is that all people would be presented to your good news. Repent, confess, follow your will, and be saved. Lord, if it gives you glory, make your will come to life within each person of Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Reform us to be your faithful people. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we ask that you inspire the hearts and minds of leaders around the world so that they might personally submit to you as Lord and Savior. We ask that you work through global and local leaders to bring relief to the poor, peace to places of war, and freedom to all. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, look upon Look with favor upon all who mourn loved ones, all who are under excessive life stress, all who are wounded by sin, and all who are in need of healing, especially those we name in our hearts now. This next prayer, we always have an opportunity as a congregation when we receive people, we receive them in the middle of us, and when we send them away to their new adventures in life, we send them from the middle of us. So a few few months ago, the Harrises were sent to go live in Iowa, but they're back, and so today we get to prayerfully receive them in. So if you want to put the hand on the hand of somebody and just hold my hands here in the middle, we will pray for them and receive them back. Thank you, Heavenly Father for a chance to gather as your people. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, Keith and Marla Harris are a part of this people, our faith community, this messy group of people, Emmanuel Lutheran Church. 
But we are yours, Lord. And we give you thanks for your love and your goodness. And we give you thanks that you brought them home. Lord, we ask you to bless them here. Lord, in any way that they need, that you would give them provisions and protection here, Lord, so that their life will be blessed. And Lord, that they can shine their faith to their friends, their family, and the world around them. Thank you, God, for bringing them home. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, welcome home, guys. Anyway. Our closing words to the prayers. This next, the next slide, Mr. Hall. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend ourselves and all for whom we pray. We will trust you, and in the name of Jesus Christ we've prayed. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.